last Sunday morning, how many of you heard uh, me share last Sunday morning, or you heard the message? Um, it was, it was uh, keys to uh, steps to successful living in the kingdom. How many of you heard that message? Awesome. So I'm, I'll um, take a few minutes to uh, recount some of that, and I, I just wanted to use that as a launching pad for, um, for a couple of more points and a, l- a little bit deeper. So um, last Sunday, I, I, I felt like the Lord gave me this, this word about um, four keys to su- living successfully in the kingdom. And so I, I want to recount those to you, um, and then I want to uh, talk to you about a couple of more things that, that, um, that have happened. Uh, let, me just, let me just tell you the four keys, and then I'll, I'll, I'll ex- explain them to you. The first one is be present. The second one is be thankful. The third one is have a big yes. And the fourth one is persevere. Persevere. Don't give up. And I, I told the story last Sunday, but I want to tell it again. I, I woke up in the middle of the night, and, and by the way, um, you know, I, I'd like to say it was really spiritual, but I, I wake up a lot in the middle of the night, almost always at three, to get close to the throne. <laughs> and, and the truth is, is I, I'm a prophet, so I get paid to sleep. Because <laughs> old men dream dreams, so that's me, and so I, some of you have to be awake to make money, but I sleep to get it, so... The problem is when you don't dream, you know, it's like, oh, Holy Spirit, come, you know? So, but, um, but I woke up in the middle of the night, and uh, I, I instantly heard, in, in a, you know, sometimes I instantly heard this, you're not present. And, um, you know, I teach the, a lot about the prophetic ministry, and people sometimes will say, how do you know if it's God? Well, for me, one way I know it's God is when my mind is still off, and I have a I have a thought that's actually rational. <laughs> that was supposed to be funny, but it's also true. And so I, I heard, I heard uh, this, this, I had this incredible impression or strong impression that said, you're not present. And so I, I went to the restroom and I, and I was doing that, you know, you leave all the lights off and try not to wake up completely. And so I was w- working my way back to my bed and and I, and I kept hearing, you're not present. So I, I got in bed and I pulled the covers over my head because I thought that would stop this, this, you're not present. And I think the Lord like got in next to me and laid down <laughs> under the covers. He's like, you're not present. I'm like, oh, okay, Lord. And so um, I, so I, I, I kind of got up, uh, leaned up against my headboard and I thought, okay, we're not going to sleep right now. I asked the Lord one time, why do you talk to me in the middle of the night? He says, because you don't make time for me during the day. So I'm like, okay, is there anybody else up there? <laughs> so, so anyway, so I ended up with this encounter, and the Lord said to me, you're not present. And I said, I, okay, I don't know what that means. He said, well, when you're, he said, you're not present. You're either thinking about yesterday or tomorrow. And when you're with someone, you're always thinking about someone else you want to be with. And when you're with the person you were thinking about that you wanted to be with, you want to be with somebody else. And you're never present. And, and he wasn't talking to me like he was angry. He was talking to me like he was concerned. And he said this to me. He said, I have planned for you to have many encounters with me throughout the day, but you miss most of them because you're really not here. And so you are missing life. You are not being fully actualized. You're not fully alive because you are missing the, the, you're missing all the, many of the places that I, have, that I have already predetermined to encounter you through people, through other people, 
and through circumstances because you're not present. And I was sharing last week that I laid there for a long time and I, I was really moved by this encounter. And I, and I started thinking, I, I don't know if the Lord was like talking to me about like the last month or the last two months. And so I began to think about how long I've not been present. And I realized that, I, and I began to think about when my kids were young, growing up. And, um, you know, my, my, my kids, it's interesting how your children's perspective on their childhood is not necessarily yours. I remember them talking, this is a couple years ago, we were having this conversation about growing, them growing up, and we were laughing and joking about different things, and they said, Dad, you know, you weren't home a lot. I wasn't home a lot. I didn't travel. Every Sunday was, was a Sabbath day. We, we set it aside for our family. Every, every Wednesday night, they, when they were teenagers, they had, to stay, they had to stay home for dinner, unless it was an emergency, unless there was no other way out. I mean, like, I, all I did was home. But from their perspective, I wasn't home. And I began to think about that comment that, you know, when we kind of laughed about it, I said, oh, I, come on, I coached your basketball games, your soccer games, your, your cheerleading. I didn't coach cheerleading. I went to your cheerleading contest. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I did your eighth grade graduation trip. I mean, what do you mean we weren't home? And, um, and I, 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 I thought about that comment that night that, that one of my kids had as we were all gathering for, I think it was Thanksgiving or Christmas. And, I, and I, it occurred to me that I was often home but I was seldom present. That this thing that the Lord said, you're not present, it actually traces way back to I don't know if I've ever been present. And, um, and I felt like the Lord said to me, you're missing so much of life because you're just not present. And so from that day, which was about, I think, a couple months ago, to this day, I, I, I've been on purpose, working hard to be present. Which for me looks like about 50 to 100 times a day going, okay, what are you doing right now? And, and also, when I'm in somebody's presence, to work really hard to not think about anything else except for what they're saying to me. It's really interesting, this morning I had a great victory. I asked the Lord, I never remember names. I'm really sorry. It's not because I'm old. I mean, I'm old, but that has nothing to do with it. I, have, I used to make up names for people like, hey, dude, hey, chick, hey, what's going on, woman? Because I couldn't remember people's names ever. I mean, in high school. And, and I, so I really am poor at remembering people's names. And to make it worse, I don't remember their faces either, which is really hard. I don't, there's probably some kind of name, but I don't, please don't, don't make a diagnosis. I don't want it to be permanent. But anyway, so uh, a, a couple of uh, nights ago, probably actually about a week ago, I was laid in bed and I was thinking about, I was saying to the Lord, I need you to help me to be present. I, like I can see that this is actually, uh, this, is like, this is like 50 years of history. So I actually need you to help me to change. Because I realize that you convicted me, but now I actually can't change without you helping me change. And so um, it was really cool today. I had this great victory today. I, I came up front and prayed for people because Eric preached. So I stayed up front and prayed for people. And a whole bunch of people got in line. And I asked every one of them their name. And at the end of the prayer time, each one of them, I remembered their name. I have never, ever done that. Ever. 
I, I know for some of you that's like silly. I have never, ever done that. I have never remembered their name two minutes after I prayed for them. And I'm like, well, this is really cool. And it got really fun. So the next service, I did the same thing. I'm like, I wonder if I could remember all their names. You know, like I say, what's your name? They say, Tammy. I say, cool. So I pray for them for a minute or two or three or whatever. And then I go, so Tammy, so, you know, God bless you. I'm like, I actually remember her name was Tammy. Wow, I was present. And I worked really hard to like look in their eyes and not think about anything else. And I'm like, oh, I can do this. So I'm, I'm, I'm saying this for your sake. Like, how many of you have the, this issue? <laughs> I thought you were having that with me. But I want to say I forgive you. And so, and so being present is one of, the, one of the steps to being successful in the kingdom is actually being present. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, for um, a, a lot of the church lives in the past, you know, not necessarily our people. Our people don't live in the past. They tend to live in the future. And we, we tend to always be the people who are waiting for life to start. Well, you know, I know what's going to happen. It's like, and, and, and we're always waiting for a revival. Well, we're, we're on the verge of a revival. I was, I was preaching that one time. This is about 10 years ago. We are on the edge of revival. And Bill yelled from the front, why don't we just have one? We're in the midst of a revival. The Bible says that in Acts 1, uh, 14 and Acts 2, 46, that they continued together in one mind. One mind. They were single focused. And um, the second one, um, it, the second key is to be thankful. And, and this also had, uh, this came with an encounter. This was about a month after that encounter. I woke up again in the middle of the night, not spiritual, just woke up to a picture. I had this vivid picture. How many of you get vivid pictures in your mind? It wasn't an open vision like I didn't see with my eyes, but it was vivid, like it was like so real. And as, as soon as I came awake, I had this picture and uh, I had this vision, I'll just call it a vision, I had this vision of this great big needle and somebody was giving me a shot. And on the side of the needle it said thankfulness. Just when I came to, and I said, Lord, what is that? He said, it's inoculation. He said, you've caught some diseases, I'm going to inoculate you from them. Also, all right. And he said, this, this, Inoculation is an inoculation of thankfulness and gratitude. It's gonna, and, it's, and he told me, it inoculates, it's going to inoculate you from several diseases that you've caught. I said, all right. Well, what diseases have I caught? He said, entitlement, bitterness, resentment, apathy, anger, unforgiveness, jealousy, competition, pride, arrogance, conceit, and suspicion. I said, was well, there any I haven't caught? And the Lord just began to talk to me about how thankfulness, like, you can't feel entitled when you're thankful. Because the nature of being thankful means you don't think you deserved it. Do you know what I'm saying? And I, I've just had this thing in my life, and as I shared last Sunday, you know, I mean, you know, 15 years ago, if someone invited me to speak at their church, I was just so excited, I would pay for my own plane ticket. I couldn't even believe people actually gave me an offering for talking. Seriously, I'm not kidding. I remember my first offering was $37. I spent $50 in gas to get there. 
And I was so happy as to tell the children, look, someone paid me to talk. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I, that night, that the Lord said, I'm inoculating you from entitlement, bitterness, resentment, apathy, anger, all these things. He started to show me just different circumstances. The first one that came to my mind was I was on a plane not too long ago, but this has been happening for probably two years. I was on a plane and I didn't get a good seat. And I was like, man, do they know who I am? I have 200,000 miles on this airline. And I actually said to the stewardess, you should upgrade me. She said, they didn't put you on a list for a reason. <laughs> that was probably God. <laughs> I was going to argue with her, and then I thought, you know what? She could be like an angel in disguise. <laughs> and I could be like Balaam, and anyway, it just... <laughs> there could be a sword somewhere, talking donkey, and all that. And I started realizing, like, you know, I've been in this place, like, who do you think you are? Like, who do you think you are? Well, you should be thankful that you were on a plane and that you weren't born 100 years ago and you're in a stagecoach somewhere. You know? I'm not saying we shouldn't try to get a good seat, but we shouldn't be bitter when we don't. <laughs> okay, well, I'm confessing my sins. You confess your own, all right? What I hate is when they get on Facebook and confess mine. I don't like that. Uh, it's just really difficult to be thankful and bitter. It's difficult to be thankful and resentful or be thankful for someone and compete with them. Or be jealous of someone you're thankful for. These, these are, uh, I know, maybe women can do it because they're like multitaskers, but men, you, we can only do one thing at a time. I'm sorry, that was supposed to be a compliment. It came out totally wrong. So sorry. I didn't mean that in a negative sense, ladies. I was, but I realized it was. So if I take all that back. That wasn't the Lord. That was not anointed. So be thankful that I didn't mean that. And the third one was, <laughs> moving on. The third one was, thank you. Very, <laughs> I'm trying to. <laughs> forgiving myself. Okay, move on. We were, um, we were having this conversation in a moral revolution meeting, and there was about 12 of us in the meeting, and we were just talking about, um, we're just, we were just talking about um, some strategies to actually see people touched by a real move of God and bring them into holiness and purity. And um, we were talking about a particular issue, which I, I, don't, I don't want to repeat right now, but we were talking about a particular issue and, and, um, and Jason, my son, was talking about a person that he was working with, with this, that had this particular issue, moral issue. And he had been working with her for a long time and, and without tons of success. And he was, gave her a bunch of tools. And so he, wasn't, he didn't tell us who she was, of course, but he was just talking about the fact that some of the strategies that we were developing would not touch this person. And he was saying, this is all great stuff, but it looks great on a whiteboard, but it's actually not going to help this person. And as he was saying that, I just had this thought that what that person needed, this particular person, who I didn't even, I don't know who they are, but I just had this thought, I felt like the Holy Spirit said, they need a big yes. They need a big yes in their life. 
And you know, many people struggle with temptation and sin, and they spend a lot of time trying to not do something wrong or battling some bad habit in their life. But the most effective way to deal with destructive behavior or bad thoughts is to have such a strong yes in your heart that you have that your no's become powerless. We're not omnipresent, so we can't be in two places at once, neither can we think of two things at the same time. Therefore, if we submerge ourselves in our calling, then we'll have no time to think about what we shouldn't be doing and no energy left to do it anyway. In fact, a strong yes is our best no. If we focus, if focus, uh, oh, I'm sorry, focus is the major key to a successful life. You know, I, um, this is the area I've had success in most of my life, all of my life, actually all of my married life. You know, I really love my wife. I've been married. I have, you know, I've met her when she was 12. We got engaged when she's 13. That's a dysfunctional story. It's an unhealthy story. I have grandkids older than that. And now I don't like to tell that story in front of them. Which I've always kind of bragged about that story. Then I realized, like, I have grandkids that are 16 and 15 and 14. So I'm like, this is not a good story. But I really passionately love my wife. She's my best friend in life. And... And, and, and one area that I've had success in, and I, I pray that I do the rest of my life, is I haven't had a lot of temptation with other women. And, and I think that, and I, I look back, and I don't know that this proactively happened. I think that I just have so much passion for her that if you have a big yes, I don't have to actually, like the, the other options don't look very good because I actually am so passionate about her. I don't know what would happen if I, and I don't want to know. I don't, I don't know what would happen if my yes wasn't really big here. I don't know if that would, if the other options would have a greater pull. I, I, I don't, you know, I pray to God I would never fall. But my point is, I don't know that I, I don't know if the fact that I have a great big yes keeps the temptation to a minimum. Does that make sense? But I think that part of the struggle in our life is that we, we don't have a big yes so there's a whole lot of no's that we're trying, we spend most of our life trying to not do something wrong instead of just being totally passionate about something we're called to do and be. And, and I, I just think it's powerful. I think, you know, uh, 2 Corinthians 2, uh, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 1.18 says that Jesus is the yes and amen. To most of the world, Jesus is the cosmic No. He's the cosmic killjoy. He's the cosmic, like, you can't do this, and you can't do that, and you can't. If you're a Christian, here's the 14 things you can't do that everyone else can do. And I'd just like to propose to you that he's actually the yes and amen to all the promises. Like, he's the yes and amen. And, you know, I'm not trying to downplay struggle or, or warfare or anything like that. I'm simply saying that if you don't have a vision, then you go unrestrained. But when you have a vision... How many of you know it says, he, if you, without a vision, people perish, but happy is who keeps the law. If you have a vision, you'll restrain your options to capture the vision. You'll keep the law, not the law of Moses. You'll keep the law of restraint so you can actually capture your vision. But it's very hard to, to, it's hard to punish yourself into purity. And I've shared this many times, but it's hard to get skinny by hating being fat. And I know this from experience. You have to have a vision for a great body. You have to have a big yes to get you to the gym, they tell me, time after time. <laughs> so sorry. I mean, I know the no by, by experience. I don't know the yes on that one. 
<laughs> I love this quote. I've shared it many times in the last several years. It's one of my favorites lately. Michelangelo said, I saw the angel in the stone and I carved to set it free. How many know chipping rock and freeing angels looks the same on the outside? I don't know. I'll have the same response last Sunday. I mean, you, you see someone chipping rock with a smile, they're freeing angels. Um, people are looking for another job. They're like, oh, no, I get another, this, when I get this job. Listen, if, I don't care what job you get. If you're not freeing angels, it's always going to be the grass is greener on the other side. How many of you know the grass isn't greener on the side? The grass is greener on the side you water. Are you with me? The side you cultivate has the greenest grass. That's a good word. Thank you. No, too late. So my question is, are you chipping rock or freeing angels? I'm telling you, you could work at a fast food restaurant and be totally freeing angels. I'm not saying God doesn't want you you to do something more or less. I'm simply saying what you do with your hands, your, your heart's telling you what you're actually doing. People might look at you and go, oh, you're only working at McDonald's. No, I'm freeing angels. God called me here. I'm getting a crown when I come to work. (laughs) And the last one for just review is this one. It's perseverance. Perseverance. This is, this. I'll, I'll tell you, I think that this is, I'm sure it was in my great-grandfather's generation and in my grandfather's generation. And I, I'm not a guy that thinks, oh, the previous generations were so much better than us. I, I don't think they were. I don't. I, I really don't. I think, I think that each generation has its own... How many know they weren't like less sinners back then than we are now? I know people want to go, oh, morality's, you know, pornography, it's like, no, it's the heart. You have more opportunities towards some things and less opportunities towards others. But I'll say this. I think that our prior generation did not struggle with this as much as we did, and that's the perseverance. The idea that you don't quit. And I do think that our culture, the culture we live in, especially first world culture, teaches you that things should be instant. And I do think that our movement actually feels that because we believe in the immediate, the instant, the miracle. But how many know sometimes God takes a long time to act suddenly? That's really true. You know, we hear it. We know it. Like, you know, somebody comes up and they go, Oh, Jesus healed me. I got prayed for in 15 seconds I was healed. But we've seen them up here 150 times for the last 10 years. And we know Johnny got an instant miracle, but it took a long time to get there. And people see, you know, they see Brian and they see this team and they see different people and they're like, they suddenly, in two years, they got famous. I'm like, no, 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 no. You don't see him playing his guitar when he was a boy. What I'm getting at is there's something about perseverance that says, I don't stop, I don't quit. I don't stop, I don't quit. I don't give up. Well, what if I die? Then you go to heaven. And uh, there, I had this great clip. I wish I could show it, but it's not legal. I mean, it's not legal to show when we... Oh, I know. That sounded horrible on streaming. 
It's not X or anything, it's a Rocky movie. You just have to have permission from Rocky to do it. And he's, I don't know, hasn't wrote back, you know. This is great, there's this great, uh, Rocky VI, it's the last Rocky movie. Anybody like Rocky movies? Absolutely, Jesus likes Rocky movies. I hope there's nothing bad in that movie I just promoted. There's this great scene in the Rocky movie, in the last Rocky movie, and Rocky's about, you know, in the movie he's supposed to be like 50, and he's really like 68 or something, I don't know, he's like pretty old. But, um, but he is, you know, the movie is about him making a comeback, and the champion, the current world champion, challenges him, and he is going to make a comeback, and so I don't want to give the movie away, but if you haven't seen it, but it's, it's, really, a, it's really a great movie. And so, he's gonna, so he decides to make this comeback, and of course, you know, everybody thinks he's crazy, and they're making fun of him, and you know, they, they have him on you know, CNN, and they're interviewing him, and afterwards they're all laughing. And, and Rocky, you know, if you've watched the Rocky movies, he has a son. And now his son's like 27 years old. And so his son, he's been trying to connect with his son in the movie. He's been trying to connect with his son. He says, hey, why don't we have lunch? And his son's like, nah. And, he, and so for most of the, a good part of the movie, his son doesn't want to have anything to do with him. So one day, he decides that he's going to wait for his son after work. So he waits for his son, and his son comes out like he's got some kind of banking job or financial job, and he comes out from the, uh, from the doors of this financial institution. And, and, and you can see inside the building that his boss, Rocky's son's boss, is there, he's, he's yelling at him. You're not doing your job. You need to be focused, all this stuff. So he walks out, and his son's not in a great mood anyway, and, and Rocky's there, you know, hey, Adrian, you know. <laughs> I can't do Rocky very well. I actually don't do anything very well. I'm not good at, I'm not, no, I mean uh, at, at imitating people's voices. I really try, and it's funny. <clears throat> I always sound like a Spaniard because I'm Spanish, I guess. <laughs> no matter whose accent I try to. <laughs> so, so, so Rocky, you know, sees his son come out and, and, he, and he's talking to his son, and, he, and he's saying, Hey, you know, what? you want to have dinner? You want to have lunch? You know, you, what's, what's going on? You know? And he's like, Dad, you know, just leave me alone. And he's like, ah, What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? <laughs> Kid, what's wrong with you? And his son finally says, You are an embarrassment. You're trying to make a comeback. Everybody's laughing at you. I'm your son. Do you understand? This is, everybody, this is stupid. Stupid. You're, this is ridiculous. And you're a laughingstock. And you don't even care. You don't even care. And you're making a fool out of me. And you're making a fool out of yourself. And then he says to him, you know, you know why I got this job? Because of my last name. That's the only reason I got this job. Because of my last name. And, and I've been living under the shadow. I've been living under the shadow my whole life. Under this big shadow. And I'm tired of it. And now you want to make a comeback. And now I'm living under the shadow again. And I'm sick of it. And so Rocky's like, oh, I'm sorry. And then he's, he's there kind of, you know, camera's panning on both their faces at the same time. And, and you know, and... Rocky starts to walk away, and he turns back to him, and he goes, You know, when you were a little boy, 
When you were born, I could put you in my hand. And I looked at you, and I hold you up, and I said to you, Mother, this kid's going to be the best kid in the world. This kid's going to be someone better than anybody, anybody I ever knew. And you grew up good and wonderful, and it was great just, to, just watching you. Every day was like a privilege. And then the time come for you to be your own man and take on the world, and you did it. But somewhere along the line, you changed, and you stopped being you. And you let people put a finger in your face and tell you you're no good. And when things got hard, you started looking for someone to blame like a big shadow. And then he says this, let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean, nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are, it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, me, or nobody's going to hit as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you get hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much can you take and keep moving forward? That's how winning is done. Now, if you know what you're worth, then go out and get it what you're worth. But you ain't gonna be, but, but you gotta be willing to take the hits and not pointing fingers saying you ain't where you ought to be because of him or her or anybody else. And then he yells, cowards do that, and you ain't, and that ain't you. You're better than that. And then he says this, I'm always going to love you no matter what. No matter what happens. You're my son, you're my blood, you're the best thing in my life. But until you start believing in yourself, you ain't going to have a life. Oh, such a powerful line. Paul said it this way. We have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not of ourselves. We are afflicted on every way, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always caring about the body of the dying Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to the death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may be manifest in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. This is just so powerful. Sorry, I almost preached the same message all over again. Man, people give up so easy. They just give up so easy. Someone said, if you're tired of starting over, then stop giving up. I'm so tired of starting over. Well, then stop giving up. You know, I remember when I was a kid, I didn't realize how powerful this was at the time. My grandfather had a peach peach orchard, and peaches were not, at that time, selling very well. And I was 15 years old, and my grandfather tore all the peaches out of his entire orchard and planted almond trees. Now, you know, I'm 15. All I'm doing is working on the farm. And every year I would come to the farm, and I would live there for three months of the summer and work in the harvest time, especially in harvest time. And I went back the next summer, and there was no almonds to pick. And the summer after that, no almonds. And the summer after that, very few almonds. And the summer after that. And we didn't pick the almonds off those trees for five years. 
I don't know if you heard what I just said. My grandfather planted almond trees instead of peach trees because peach trees didn't produce finances, but he wasn't going to get anything off the almond trees for five years, and he thought like that. I get in line at In-N-Out Burger, and if I don't get my food in five minutes, I'm like, what the heck, they call this fast food? What's the problem? I'm not getting in that line. It's going to take me 15 minutes to eat my burger. You know what I'm saying? Like, what I'm getting at is culture teaches us things are supposed to be instant. And we live in the kingdom, and we go, God, I need this now. And he goes, keep knocking. I knocked. I'm your son. I'm a royal priesthood. Holy nation. Ha! This is me, your son. He said, yeah, I heard you. Keep knocking. Hey, I've been asking you. Keep asking. You don't want to give it to me? No, I just want to hear you keep asking. Lord, I've been seeking you. Yeah, for the last 45 minutes. I want it now. Something's wrong. It's not the will of God. Oh, Lord, you know, have a, you know, take a chill pill. Chillax. No, some of us just need to get connected to our, if our grandparents are alive, or go to the old folks' home. I'm, I'm being serious. I'm not joking at all. I, I mean, and just let them tell you what it was like. I, I know you, you, sometimes we have a hard time valuing, you know, another generation that's, that went before us. But it's really good for us to connect to a generation that didn't have instant oatmeal. You know, when you came home, you know, when you, when you came home, your grandmother's cooking, and you say, when's dinner? And she says, two hours. You say, I'm hungry now. It doesn't affect her. She doesn't look up. <laughs> I'm hungry now. Dinner's in two hours. I'm now. I'm hungry. I said. <laughs> you want me to use a spoon on you? How many of you know what I'm talking about? I'm just talking about the fact that we got to get out of the idea because it just didn't happen when we needed it, exactly when we wanted it. And because we had to struggle to get it, that it must not be God. And I'd like to remind you that Jesus was born in a manger when God knew that he was going to be born from the foundation of the world. He's born in a manger because there was no room in a motel. I don't know if, you, if that rocks you, but it does me. It's like God knew when Jesus would be born from the foundation of the world, but he forgot to make reservations at the hotel. <laughs> so the son has to be born in a barn. And I know you have lots of theological as well. He had to be born in a barn. Well, the Bible says, listen, they're probably all good. Listen, I've heard lots of them. I, I preach some of them. But here's what the Bible says. Because there was no room. That's why it said, I mean, there may be reasons why there was no room, but the Bible doesn't give them. It just says, because there was no room. And I'm like, you know what? Things don't all, listen, if Jesus can be born in a barn because God forgot to make a hotel reservation, then things don't always go smoothly that God has planned. It's not always like, whoa. It's a narrow road into the kingdom. From there, it's a long and winding road. Once you get in, you know, <laughs> it's a good word. So we need to cultivate thankfulness. 
And I want to talk about that for a few minutes. Psalms 100 says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. How many know thanksgiving is the password to get in the gate? Thanksgiving is our response to his actions. Praise. We'll enter his, courts with th- enter his gates with thanksgiving, enter his courts with praise. Praise is our response to his character. So, and psychologists say, this is not in the Bible, extra biblical, say that thanksgiving or gratitude is the least felt emotion. Which means what gets me in the door doesn't stay with me very long, so I have to cultivate it. I have to think about it all the time. I have to stay thankful because it's like uh, eating Chinese food. <laughs> I-, I love Chinese food, but as soon as you eat it, like an hour later, I'm hungry. Uh, maybe that was a bad example, but have you ever been mad at someone the day before you were really thankful for, and maybe you complimented them, and the next day you're angry with them? It's like you totally forget how much they did for you. And the day before, you're like, you write them a thank you card, and you get them a gift, and you're like, so, oh, you know, I'm so thankful for you, Dada, thanks for doing all this stuff. And the next day, they do something that irritates you, and you're like, you're, what is wrong with you? And you forget the 25 years they served you. It's just like, wait a second, what? It's cult- we have to cultivate thankfulness. Like, we have to think about what we like about life and people. Does that make sense? I, my, my wife is awesome at this. I, I don't know how she does it. She could get run over by a car and be thankful it wasn't a truck. No, that's the truth. I'm serious. I don't know how she does it. I'll come home and she'll say, how was your day? And I'll go, oh, da, 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 da. And she'll go, oh, well, at least it wasn't da, 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 da. I'm like, dude, mourn with me first. Please, mourn with me. At least make me feel like I'm human. I'm like, why do you have to marry an angel? Well, I'm thankful. You know, th- thankfulness, it really, like, have you ever had somebody come to you and they're like, rah, 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 about somebody, and you're, and you're thankful for them, and you're like, wow, I really like them. <laughs> it just really throws cold water on, on their fire. But you know, when you're not thankful, and they come like, rah, 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 and you throw gasoline on the fire, that's like, wow, I don't know why you're on fire. The worst thing that could happen to you is that someone that's not thankful for you runs into someone else who's not thankful for you. There's some kind of synergy, like evil synergy that grows. How many of you have any idea what I'm talking about? And then they make up stories, you know? And I know they do because I've been one of those people who make up the stories. (laughs) Then I come home and, you know, here, have some of this. This person, da-da-da, well, remember when they did such and such? No, I don't want to remember that right now. I actually want to be angry and, and ungrateful. And conceited and arrogant and selfish and what other things I got inoculated from that night. Leave me alone. 
Well, you said you wanted my input. Because I thought you were going to agree with me, but I should have known. After 40 years, you would it. <laughs> Thankfulness is the door to happiness. It's the gate of heaven. It's the cure for arrogance, the inoculation for depression, and it's a force against the spirit of entitlement. Thankfulness is the fruit of humility, the offspring of gratitude. Thankfulness has saved many a marriage, rescued children from the grips of bitterness, and delivered countless souls from a political spirit. Thankfulness is a field that must be cultivated, weeded, and seeded. That's the truth. You know what? Some folks just need to go to another country to be thankful for this one. I don't care who the leader is. He's a hundred times better than some of them I've been, some places I've been. Sorry, if it's been your nation, I love your nation. <laughs> Actually, the nations I'm talking about, I've never even been to. I just see them from afar, I'm like, nope. I get an invitation, I'm like, mm, nah. I'm, I'm, this is, I have to all plan. I'm gonna wait till I'm 80, and then I'm gonna go to a particular country, and I'll preach the gospel, and I'm gonna get beheaded. And then I'm going to be a martyr and get me a big old house in heaven. That's my plan. On a serious note, like, if you don't like this country, like, try another one. Just, like, I don't know, like, you're, you know, sitting in an air-conditioned place with, you know, you know, fluffy seats and a screen, and me? And you could go to the store and you can buy bananas in the winter. And eat pineapple when it's snowing outside. I mean, you, you don't even know what I'm talking about. I mean, you can get stuff kings couldn't eat. You could go to the grocery store and buy it and eat it anytime you want. And you're like, oh, God, well, it's so terrible. Oh, I'm not saying they're wonderful. I'm just saying, you know, Kathy would say to you, You know, you can, you, you can, you know, have an opinion that says, hey, we need to make adjustments and not be bitter. Do, do you know what I'm saying? I, I'm not saying like, hey, let's just like pretend nothing bad's happening. I, I understand there's another side of this message. And I understand that all evil needs to, to, to do to win is for righteous people to do nothing. I understand that. And I believe in that. So don't get me wrong. But, you know, just being bitter all the time, it's just, you're just part of the problem. You just become part of the problem. So, I think that, I think that there's just a ton of people that feel entitled. You know what entitlement is? It's counterfeit inheritance. See, entitlement is what orphans do with money. Like, you owe me. No, no, that's how orphans think. Entitlement is the attitude of orphans while inheritance is the heritage of sons. Entitlement says, I'm owed, while inheritance says, I'm loved. 
Entitlement is a hostile takeover, while inheritance is a transfer of wealth. And you know what keeps you from being entitled? Humility. Humility is the soil that cultivates a thankful heart. I, I want to just, we have about 10 more minutes. Turn to John chapter 13. We should probably like read a scripture. We talked about Rocky and I know how that's going to go on the stream. It's kind of cool. People who don't like us, they pay for streaming. <laughs> yeah, they listen to all my messages. It's kind of cool. Then on Tuesday, they critique them. It's very interesting. And I'm thankful. <laughs> John 13, verse 1. It's, uh, speaking of, of Jesus, says, Now therefore, the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, and that he would depart out of the world to his Father, and having loved his own, who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, the devil, having already entered into the heart of Judas, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from, from God and was going back to God, got up from supper, laid aside his garments, and taking the towel, he girded himself. And he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel which he, which he was girded. So he came to Simon Peter, and he, said, and he said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, What I do, you do not realize now. Listen to this. Jesus said to him, What I do, you do not realize now, but you will hereafter. And Peter said, Never shall you wash my feet. And Jesus answered, If I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. Simon said, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands, my head, my whole body. <laughs> Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is, but, is, but is completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one that was betraying him. For this reason he said, not all of you are clean. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord. And you're right, I am. For then, if the Lord and the teacher washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also would do this to each other. Truly I say to you, truly I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is the one who sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. This is an amazing passage because... It tells us how Jesus beat the devil. Let me just reiterate the setup for the scene. Judas, the, Satan enters Judas. Literally, Judas is not just demon-possessed, he is Satan-possessed. The only man we know of, at least in the Bible, that's actually possessed by Satan. And it says, and Jesus knowing that Satan had entered Judas, immediately goes in the room all, where all the guys are sitting for supper, and he takes a towel, and he begins to wash their feet. Now, first of all, that would be a little weird in our culture, I get that, but this is, not, this is very common in Jewish culture. As a matter of fact, when you had a guest at your, at your house, it was, it was the tradition of the, of the Pharisees that you would wash the feet of the people who come to your house. 
So this is not like, whoa, something like really freaky. This is, this is not uncommon in Jewish culture in first century. Are you with me? So Jesus is not doing, this isn't a radical act that's never been done before, like someone would come up here and wash Bill's feet. That's not what's happening. This is a tradition, a culture. The only weird thing about it is the, peop, the person who's washing their feet is greater than the person whose feet he's washing. Are you with me? So he's washing their feet, and you know, and you know the story, you just heard it. And Peter goes, oh, no, wait. And Peter, Peter gets it. Peter's like, no, no, we got this reversed. The slave's supposed to wash the master's feet. And Jesus, and so he goes, you, you ain't washing my feet. And Jesus said, um, you don't actually know what I'm doing. But you'll know after. Hereafter. You'll know in the hereafter. Well, I don't know what you're doing. You're washing my feet. I get it. No, no, you don't actually know what I'm doing. See, you think I'm washing your feet, but I'm the Lord and the teacher. You call me that, and you're right. And the Lord and the teacher right now is getting down on his knees and washing the slave's feet, the servant's feet. So you think I'm just washing, washing feet. But what you don't realize is that I'm humbling myself to beat my enemy. See, this is the strategic, this is a strategic warfare move. The devils filled Judas, and what I'm going to do to beat him is I'm going to go all the way down to the top. I'm going to get really low, and I'm going to whip his butt. And so, listen, you think I'm wrong. Listen to what, what it says in Philippians. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind... Regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own interests. And by the way, the words do not merely look out, it actually reads this, like this. Don't look out for your own personal interests, but for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to the death on the cross. For this reason, for what reason? Because he humbled himself. For this reason, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue will confess in heaven and on earth, and get this, and under the earth. Under the earth. Did you get this? This is the strategic move. And under the earth, that... And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What was Jesus doing? He was creating a strategic move. He knew that if, if you humble yourself, then God will exalt you at the proper time. He sees that the devil's trying to take him out. He goes, no, no, you're not going to be able to do that. And he gets low, and he begins to, he begins to wash the servant's feet. And they're like, you don't, and they're, he's, they're, their feet are being washed. Their feet have been washed many times. He goes, you don't know what I'm doing, but you will hereafter. What, what are you doing? I'm humbling myself so I'll be exalted. This is how I'm going to get. This is how I'm going to beat the devil. I'm going to humble the hell out of people. See, what we don't realize, the New Testament says God's opposed to the proud. No, this isn't the Old Testament. This is the New Covenant. God is actually against you when you're proud. 
You're running against the wind when you're proud. I exalt me. I exalt me. You're so lucky to have me. I exalt me. See, adversity may be the mother of invention, but humility is the father of promotion. Uh, there's a lot of people like, I don't know why I don't get promoted. It's because you think you should. So you think you're entitled. I work harder than all of these people. You know how many air miles I have? Yeah, that's why you're sitting back there. Because you feel entitled. So you can sit at the back of the plane no matter how many air miles you have until you get this, boy. See, you're lucky you're in a plane. You're lucky the plane's still flying. You look out there, there ain't no strings. And I said, lo, I'm with you always. And you ain't low, boy. So we've lost the sight, we've lost sight of the difference between image and reputation. Image is often a manifestation of a great marketing scheme. Well, reputation is forged in the crucible of repetition. See, reputation is the outcome of repeated behaviors lived out in the daily ordeal of our life call. Image will build an empire, but it's only character of a good reputation that's capable of extending the borders of the kingdom. So you can have, see, you can be anybody you want now. You can create your own little pretend world and tell people that you're a big person on social networking. In fact, you, want, you have enough money, you can make yourself famous. And just be like the man in the Wizard of Oz. You're just the little man behind the curtain. And the truth is, you ain't nobody. I'm like, well, that's pretty harsh. It is. <laughs> but it's also true. We live in a world of self-promotion. And the concept that I serve that I get low so that I could go up is a foreign concept. I want to know, like, how do I get more followers on my Facebook page? So, you know, we spend lots of money trying to look a certain way, but it's actually your repetition that becomes your reputation. I don't like what people say about me. Well, change your reputation. Do, do something different. Well, what if they're lying? Well, then it shouldn't hurt. Lies don't hurt. You know what hurts? When people tell the truth about you. I'm telling you from experience. Like, you know, I have websites dedicated. False prophet. You know, I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not humorous anymore, but it's not painful. You know why? Because it has no truth in it. You know what bothers me? When people write things on social networking that are true. That's painful. 
Or when people say things about me, that's true. I'm like, yeah, that was, that was a bad day. Sorry. <laughs> Somebody once said, one should be more concerned about what his conscience whispers than about what other people shout. Well, it's true. So I want to give you 13 signs that you're humble. Are you ready? And then I'll be done. Maybe. I think I'm going to be done. Number one, you know, you know who you are without requiring others to acknowledge your identity. You know who you are without requiring that other people acknowledge it. I'm a son of the king. Well, there's something weird when you have to run around telling people that. Do you know who I am? No. I know who you're acting like. You know, if I have to come to you and say, I'm a man, my, is there other, another option? Number two, you allow others to get credit. How do you know if you're humble? You allow others to get credit for things that should be attributed to you. And by the way, you got credit for things that should have been attributed to other people. Number three, you take a lower seat than you deserve. Mm. That's the plain thing. Number four, you refuse to promote yourself. Number five, you allow others to share their accomplishments without sharing yours, especially when yours are greater. There's a name for this in the shop I worked in, but you know, when someone tells a story and you have a better one, and it's like you always like up in the ante. You know what you know part of humility is? You let somebody have their day in the sun and you just be quiet. And someone says, you know, I prayed for this person and you know, they got their eye partially healed. And you know what? You're like, you know, you've got 10 people who are totally blind healed. And you sit there and you let them get, you let them have their day in the sun. You don't tell your 10 blind people healing stories. I'm not saying you never tell them. I'm just saying humility is let that person get, let them have the credit. Let them be the star of the show today. You, you, you know, I'm not using the right words, but you know what I'm trying to say. It's like, it's okay that they're right now, that you've done a hundred things better than them. You've written better songs. You've preached better messages. You've done whatever it is you do. You've done it better. You've got it more. You've made more money. You've sold more books, whatever. And they are just telling this story about how excited they are, and you don't tell them about what you did. That's humility. It's not because you can't. It's because you want them to be, I know there's a better word, you want them to be the star of the show today. You have an attitude that no task is beneath you. Oh, that got quiet. Listen, you know, um, I, once in a while, we just need to just, I mean, maybe you have, you know, a CEO of some company, maybe some multimillionaires listening on here. You know, sometimes you just need to go take out the garbage. No, I mean, like, even when some, no one asks you, just do it for you. Just do it, go, you know what, I'm not too good to do this. I'm not too high and mighty to take out the garbage or to do whatever. 
Do you know? Okay, sorry. Um, number seven, you're honest about your weaknesses. I have no struggle with this one. Maybe we should stop there. Just Number eight, you admit your mistakes. I, I don't, you know, it just feels stupid when people make excuses for their mistakes. Just, what, what's wrong with saying, I did that. I messed that up. Sorry. Kind of comes with being human. And when you're mad at other people and they make mistakes, I mean, what? What are you doing? Have you ever been driving down the road and someone cuts you off and you're like, you're stupid? And then had the thought that you did that? Not that long ago? <laughs> this is painful, huh? <laughs> Number nine, you live below your means. Number ten, you work to promote others. Number eleven, you're teachable. Number twelve, you're correctable. And number thirteen, you're influenceable. You're teachable, you're correctable. Like someone can actually say, you did something wrong, without you going, oh, well, wait a second, here's 14 reasons why you're wrong. I love this quote, I just found it today. It's nobler to declare oneself wrong than to insist on being right, especially when one is right. Did you get that? It's, it's, no, I'll put it this way. It's more noble to declare oneself wrong than to insist on being right, especially when one is right. Frederick, and I can't read his last name. I mean, I can't pronounce it. Fred said that. <laughs> That's true. We, we teach this in prophetic ministry all the time. You know, it's like if somebody, if you give someone a prophecy and they say it's wrong, our team, everybody that's on our team knows this because we teach this all the time. have been teaching it for 16 years. Just say, I'm really sorry. Well, I, 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 what, what do I need to do to clean up my mess? Do not say, listen, I'm the, person, I'm the woman of God. I'm the man of God. Jesus speaks to me. The Holy Spirit talked to me. He said, this is your future. I don't know what you're going to do with that, but you know what? You're talking to the man of God here. You heard of Moses? No, just, you know, just be quiet. Well, I know I heard God. That's all the more reason to be quiet. Because if you're right, they're going to know you're right a year from now. And if you go, I'm sorry, wow, I got that wrong. I am so sorry. What do I need to do to clean up my mess? You know what's going to happen? If you humble yourself, they will come back and say, remember when I called you and told you you were wrong? Yeah, actually that happened. I didn't think that would ever happen. I thought that was a bad word. You know how many times people have come back and said, that was, you know, that word I told you was wrong, that really happened in my life. It would have never happened if I would have argued with them. No, I mean, it would have never come back and told me. They would have been embarrassed to tell me if I had an argument with them. And I'm just using it as one example. It's like, be teachable. Be correctable. I don't care how big you are. Something's wrong when someone can't correct you. Well, what if they're wrong? No, no, this is a hard thing. This is a hard thing. They can be wrong, and you can still be humble. That's a good word. I really believe
You know, you know, this is a teaching, but this last part I think is a prophetic declaration, a prophetic word. And that is, I believe God is calling us to humility. Not false humility, not that, oh, I'm no good at anything, I'm such a bad person, you're right, I'm a worm, I'm just, just no good, just a piece of junk. Man, just stop that, man, I hate that stuff. That's not humility, that's just being stupid. Not that. Just the ability to get low, to serve, to take the back seat, to let someone else have their day in the sun, to take out the garbage, to be correctable, teachable, and influenceable. Just that's humility. That's real humility. That someone can actually talk to you about your stuff. It doesn't matter what your title is or how much you've accomplished, that you never get too big for someone to go, I think you got that wrong. And for you to go, wow. Okay, thanks for talking to me. Man, I cherish, I have to tell you, I cherish my relationships. I cherish the people that will speak into my life, not the ones on Facebook. No, I don't, I don't cherish anybody who wants to judge my heart. And frankly, I don't, think you, I don't think you know why I do things. I don't even know why I do things. So I don't know how you would know. But how I'm behaving is affecting people, and you feed back to me that's not affecting people the way that it would be godly. Oh, man, that's just great feedback. I want that in my life. I don't want to ever outgrow people being able to tell me, people that love me and that care about me. Let me be clear. People that love me and care about me, especially my team, my accountability team, that they have the, not just the right, they have a responsibility to tell me what they think. What if they're wrong? Man, I, w- I don't want to do anything that would keep them from ever being afraid of, well, the next time, we, uh, next time Chris does something, man, I'm afraid to talk to him. I, you know, I know people are afraid to talk to me. No, I mean, I do know that. I, people, people say it all the time, I'm so afraid to talk to you. I don't know what I did to scare you. <laughs> Whatever. But that's because you don't know me. But if you know me and you're afraid of me, wow, that's a bummer. That's a bummer if you know me and you're afraid of me. And if you're on my team, on my leadership team, I'm on your leadership team and you're afraid of me, that, that's poor leadership. That's bad leadership. That I've created some kind of environment where the people that are actually, I'm actually accountable to, it costs them to talk to me. That's a bummer. That I would ever get there. And I feel like our movement is growing and growing, and God is exalting us. I think it's God. Not every place, probably. I'm sure we're making lots of mistakes. So let me just be clear that we're making lots of mistakes. Okay, I understand that. I understand not everything's being done perfectly. But listen, lady, at least laugh at the proper times. Sheesh. Some people's children. I, I, I believe the Lord is putting us in the spotlight. Is, is it going to be for a year, five more years, ten years? I don't know. I know this, that it may be us who determines how long we get to be here by what we do with this position. And I think if we stay low and we keep serving and we get low, and we're correctable, and we stay humble. And I'm not, again, not talking about false humility, but we really stay humble, and we don't believe all the great reports about us. And we're like, oh, you know, sometimes we're like, sometimes we just need to stop reading how wonderful we are and realize that Jesus is wonderful, and we're pretty good. 
We're not as good as people think. We're not as good as our friends think. We're not as bad as our enemies think. Somewhere in the middle. That was a joke. That part was a joke, I think. But let me finish. Land a plane. I think we have an opportunity to change history if we'll stay low. I think it was about five and a half years ago. We had an opportunity to do something really big. And we were discussing it around the table with our leaders. I went home that night. It, wasn't, it was really a good opportunity. I went home that night. And, and the Lord said, protect your innocence. Protect your innocence. I said, well, I, okay, what does that, I mean, okay, I get what protect your innocence means, but what does that mean in the circumstance? Don't exalt yourself. Don't, don't, don't promote yourself. Don't take an opportunity until I give it to you. And um, I, I came back team and shared that, and several of the other team, uh, many of, the, of our team had that same, very similar word. And so we didn't do that. And, and I, I feel like the Lord said, well, you're entering the greatest test of your life. It's the test of abundance. A man will be tested by the favor that's accorded to him. And the Lord said to me, you have passed the first test. It's the test of lack. You trusted me when there wasn't enough. You, you were generous when you didn't have it. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about us, a team. The team. And I put Bill at the forefront of that. All of those decisions. You trusted me. You gave away money when you didn't have it. You trusted me when you didn't have it. When people left, you stayed the course. You trusted me in, in, in lack. But here comes the greatest test of all. It's the test of more than enough. What do you do when you have more than enough? What do you do when you have more people who like you than you have time for? What do you do when you have more money, when you, when you have more influence? What do you do with that? And I'm saying there's another wave of God promoting us, and there better be another wave of humility. Otherwise, this thing we call movement, it will, it will be something they wrote about, not something they're writing about. Would you stand, please? I tease you a lot, and I want you to know I'm not teasing you right now. I feel like the Lord just told me that a lot of you need to go home and clean up your mess. I'm not kidding. I feel like there's a lot of you right now. We've laughed together. We were serious for a little while, but I feel like the Lord just told me there's a lot of people in here that need to go home and clean up your mess. You need to get humble. You need to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. You need to listen. And I, and I feel like some people have many messes. Like you heard this, you heard this message tonight, but actually the Holy Spirit, like you would say it felt like the Holy Spirit was talking right to me. Like he crafted this message for me. And I, I just really want to exhort you as a, as a friend and a brother that if the Holy Spirit's talking to you, best thing you can do, get on the phone, write a letter, email, whatever you have to do, go clean up your mess. Go get low. Go humble yourself. Well, what if I wasn't the only one that was wrong? Listen, guess what? All you can do is clean up your side. It was only 10% my fault. That's why I won't admit it. So don't say it's 10% my fault. Just say, I'd like to you to forgive me for this. And what if they don't, what if they don't acknowledge their side? <laughs> Listen, you don't have to answer for them. You only answer for you. 
the only answer for you. And, and you know what you did? You just created an atmosphere for the Lord to exalt you because you humbled you. And so, Lord, I just pray right now that you would just touch people deeply. Just touch people very deeply right now. Just people that, that are our friends on Bethel TV too. Just people who are watching. Maybe they'll watch this a month from now. I just pray, God, that you would allow us to embrace the servant's heart. The servant heart. I just I pray for that right now. That we would be strategic about our humility and we would realize when the devil's after us, the best thing we could do is get low and serve. And we're going to beat him from the bottom. And Lord, I just pray for every person that's feel, felt like they've run against the wind. Lord, I pray that you, Holy Spirit, would examine their heart. I know we don't even know what's going on in our heart. But you're the maker of our hearts. And you're the convictor of our souls. And so I pray, God, for any of us, for all of us, that you would be the one that points out what needs adjusted in our lives and help us to make those adjustments. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen.